Every one of us needs change. I'm not talking about money. Change. We don't always like it, but yet we need it. Without change, things could be very complicated. If it stays the same, I mean, just think about your body. It has to mature. It has to develop into adolescence. You know, as a child, it changes. Your body, as it ages, it has to change. It has to slow down. You know, there's things that has to, to change about your body. Things change all around us, whether we like it or not, whether we're aware of it or not. Things are changing. And so for the next several weeks, I, I want to just stop and, and think about change and think about how it applies to our life, especially our spiritual life. For we are to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. God is, is wanting to, to make us and, and to perfect us and to make us holy like Christ is holy. That involves change. It doesn't just involve just coming to church on Sunday, sitting in a pew, and that's it, right? The spiritual life is one that is ever-changing. If we ever reach the point where we're just not changing, then something is wrong. We have become idle. No, God is still at work in each and every one of us. But think about it. You know, marriage, you know, marriage, you know, some of you have, have been married um, or are married. Um, when you join with your spouse, you change, whether you like it or not, right? It says that you become one, the two become one, one flesh, right? Whether you like it or not, it involves change. And that's, you know, a lot of times when marriages don't work out is because one spouse isn't willing to change. Or maybe it's even both spouses are not willing to change. Selfishness takes root, right? But for marriage, you know, things have to change. In my life, in my marriage, I've changed. I didn't want to put, I, 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 want, I thought about putting a picture of myself up on the screen whenever we got married. But what you would discover is that my waist size has changed because my wife can cook. <laughs> All right, several of y'all probably ate some of her cooking last night and didn't even realize it, but um, that chicken dip, oh my, that is my favorite dip. And then she made two peanut butter pies, and I, I actually wanted them, but I was like, I'm not going to bid on them, but those are my favorite pies. Um, but things change. As we get older, we change. Your body changes. Speaking of that, having you know, a wife that cooks and me loving you know, eating and my waist size liking to expand. And um, Who's ready for some turkey? Who's ready for some ham? Some mashed potatoes? Some devil's eggs? Some cornbread? Some pumpkin pie? You know, they tell you in preaching courses, okay, they say, do not start talking about food, 
right? Because now you're in your, in your head, you're thinking, oh, no, what time is he going to wrap up? Because I'm getting hungry as he speaks, right? But just think about that. You know, you get married, you enter into a different family, and people do different things. You know, I'm sure that you think about your spouse's side of the family, and they do crazy things, right? And then yours is the only sane family that does it normal. Well, that's not true, right? That's not true. My family does things a little different than Hannah's family. Here's some examples of that. You know, um, we used to, you know, I would spend all day on Thanksgiving with my family. Now I married into her family. We actually have to share. Like, we, we'll go early to my family, our get-together. Like, at 11 o'clock, we'll get there early. But we'll have to leave early because her um, dad's side is meeting. And so we're missing half of theirs, and so we're going to have to scoot to Ashborough, right? And then the next year, we'll flip-flop that, right? Then we'll have her, uh, her mom's family later on as well. And so we have to share that. You probably have to share that as well. But think about the way that y'all gather. You know, for my family, this is really weird, okay? Hannah's family may do things a certain way. My side of the family does another way. My side of the family... When it comes to mashed potatoes, I mentioned mashed potatoes because everybody loves mashed potatoes. Well, my side of the family, every person in the family evidently likes a different style of potato. So instead of just saying, okay, we're going to have this kind of potatoes, you know what my mom does? She provides like three different types of potatoes. You got the normal kind of consistency of mashed potatoes, right? Then you have the creamy like extra creamy that my mom spends all morning long with that blender getting it as creamy as possible because my uncle likes it that way but then other people like chunky potatoes right the chunky mashed potatoes and so it they offer all different kinds I remember my uh, this a couple of years ago <laughs> my sister said so are we going to have real macaroni and cheese or not See, my wife fixes amazing macaroni and cheese, right? And so I'm like, what do you mean by real macaroni and cheese? She said, you know, the craft kind. I'm like, do what? She's talking about the macaroni and cheese that you put in a microwave. That is not real macaroni and cheese. See, people do things different. You know, when, I, when I married into Hannah's family, you know, my, my uh, family was a little different. I remember we went into her, um, the first gathering, you know, that night we were uh, eating dinner. And they like to sing at everything. Like sing, going down the road, sing when you greet each other. Uh, not, not that extreme. So we're around the table, and we start singing the prayer. God our Father, or God is great. See, I mess it up, Right? So they sing, and it's great. I get used to it. My uh, sister-in-law, when she started dating my brother-in-law, Josh, she, was, she looked at me afterwards. Is that normal? You'll get used to it. <laughs> Things change, right? Things change. We either adapt to it or we don't. Things change all around. Some of us love change. Actually, seriously. Who really in their right mind has ever said, I love change? If you do, then chances are you're, you're, you're probably fighting something inside of you because we tend to not like change. 
yet we have to change. I read this story this week. It was 1876. Alexander Graham Bell um, offered to sell his new invention, the telephone. He offered to sell it to Western Union for $100,000. Western Union rejected it, saying this. This, by all accounts, was their report. We do not see that this device will ever, ever capably be able, be able to capably send recognizable speech over a distance of several miles. Bell wants to install one of these uh, telephone devices in every city. The idea is idiotic on the face of it. Furthermore, why would any person want to use this ungrainly and unpractical device when they can go and send a messenger to the telegraph office and have a clearly written message sent to any large city in the United States? (laughs) They go on to say this is just a mere toy. Why would anybody want it? And they turn that down. Now, think about how telephones have changed. How we communicate. Can you imagine having to go to send a message to someone? And you had to go now with the way things move and how we, transportation and all that, to send a simple message. Hey, how are you? (laughs) You can't. I mean, it's like crazy to even think about that. How things have changed. Things change. And we adapt. Changing the church. Wait a minute. <laughs> changing the church. Did somebody mention changing the church? Whoa. That's a tough one. I got a joke for you. So you had ch- uh, two church members, okay? Imagine with me. Two church members working together. What? Whoa. Pause there. Just kidding. Okay, so two church members were working together. They were going to change a light bulb. Wait, wait, wait. Change? Change a light bulb? Are you serious? My grandmother's mother's uncle's sister's brother's fiance donated that light bulb. How in the world are we going to change that light bulb? Right? Sometimes we think of change and we begin to think, wait, somebody's going to be offended by that change. It's going to impact this person. They're going to be upset about this change. You know what? That's going to happen. It will. It's just natural. And when things change, people don't like it. You either adapt or you move on. It's a part of life. In every walk of life, change happens. You know you're in a church that needs to change, though, when? You keep having the same conversation over and over and over and over again. Hmm. You know you're in a church that needs to change every time someone raises a new idea, someone lists three reasons why that won't work. <laughs> it happened with the with Alexander Graham Bell, Thomas Edison, you know, all these people who invented things, they had to be willing to risk messing up. They had to risk going back to the drawing board so that they can further their experiments in the church. 
we have to be willing to come up with new ideas and innovate. Because if we don't, then we're just going to say the same old, same old, same old. You know you're in a church that needs to change when fondness for the past exceeds passion for the future. Fondness for the past exceeds passion for the future. And you know you're in a church that needs to change when we've never done it that way before has become that church's theme song. We have to change. We have to adapt. But do you want to? Are you willing to give up our you know, things that we hold so tightly to? See, the church, especially the church in America, and I would even say this church as well, has run out of time to fight against colors of the carpets and drums, drum kits and things like that. The world needs Jesus. We can't, we can't keep fighting over these things. I've been in churches after churches and spoken at all different types of churches, and, and some are just going after it, going after and reaching out to people and sharing the love of Jesus Christ with everybody. And some are stuck in and talking about things and talking about the past and how things used to be and how great they used to be. And they hold on to so many different things and they don't adapt and change. And you know what I think it does? I think it breaks the heart of God. Because you study church history. Things change. At one point in time, thinking about music, at one point in time, that instrument right there would be outlawed from the church. That instrument that we love to sing to, that holds so much beauty, you would be shunned out of the church if you brought that type of music in. Things change to the glory of God. <laughs> we don't hold tight to those type things because Jesus wants to t change people. People need Jesus. And so today we spent, we're going to turn to Matthew 9. Matthew 9, starting with verse 9. This is the calling of Matthew. And we'll be reading on down to uh, verse 13. It says, As Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, he said to him. And Matthew got up and followed him. While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, Many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. So if we think about this, we think about how we, as we are going about life, we are going a certain way. And because of, of sin, 
we start to follow a way that is, is, is our way, a way that is, is corrupt, a way that is self-seeking, a way that's selfish, and it's all about me, me, me. But then God comes on the scene. Jesus comes on the scene, and he starts speaking to you, and he says, come and follow me. Just like he says to Matthew, come and follow me. He's saying that to you. He's not saying, hey, get, get all your life in order. Get your stuff together. Get all everything in order. You know, you know, make sure that you're without sin. Then come with me. No, Jesus said, come follow me. We tend to complicate things, overcomplicate things. And Jesus is looking to you and saying, come, follow me. When Jesus came on the scene and started preaching the gospel, he says this, repent and believe the good news. A shifting of one's mind. You'll hear me say this over and over because I think it's pivotal when it comes to the gospel message. Repent and believe. Repent. Turn from your ways, your wicked ways, your selfish ways, and focus on God. But see, what happens is that he, he then goes and he, you know, they spend time with him. He discipled them. And he, uh, you know, Matthew is discipled by Jesus Christ, you know, for three years. And, and he, Jesus poured his life into him. What did Jesus do? Sent them back out into the world. And so for us, today we have to change your direction. Change your direction. You may be going this one way, and you think you have life figured out. You think you have it all in order. You have your stuff, your junk, all in order. Nobody knows it. You know, you're hiding it really well. But deep down inside, there's something missing. But there is a Savior walking by, a Messiah walking by in your life, and He's calling out to you, Come, follow me. Turn, repent, follow me. Don't focus on yourself anymore. Follow me. So he wants us to change our direction. But he also wants to change our focus. And see, you see in in this story, you see the Pharisees. The Pharisees are so... Mad, they're so frustrated that this teacher comes on and they're they're he's eating with sinners and tax collectors. You have to understand in that context what the Pharisees were going through is that they they see association as falling into sin. Associating with tax collectors and tax collectors in that day, especially Matthew being a Jew. Uh, it was a, a big no-no in that culture to be associated with them. See, the Pharisees, in their mind, they actually pictured, they, were go, they would go to this extreme. Because Jesus was eating with tax collectors and sinners, because of their imagination and the way they perceived things, they would actually picture Jesus and see him as being a sinner himself because he was associating with them. And that same pharisaical mindset comes into our church. We get so scared. Oh, did you see, Pastor? He was on the street and he was talking to that drug dealer. 
man, he's probably, he's going to fall into drugs. You know, that's extreme, right? (laughs) But think about it. You see me at a bar, you probably will assume that I'm there drinking and getting drunk. No, that's, (laughs) that's the Pharisee mindset. Where would Jesus be in our day? He would be eating with sinners. He would be associating himself with people that need him. People who need a changed life. And so when we change our direction, we start focusing on Jesus. It will change us. It will shape us. Our thoughts will be his thoughts. It doesn't matter what people say about us. We want to make Jesus happy. Amen? But see, Jesus, when he pictured this, when he saw this, what he was doing, he was eating with sinners, but what he was doing, he was offering forgiveness. He was offering grace to them. See, sin isn't contagious, even though you might think sin is contagious. Sure, there, might, there has power with sin, and it can rule someone's life. But just because I'm with people that doesn't look like me, that cuss, that are drinking and doing all different kinds of things in front of me, just because that I am talking to them does not mean that that sin is rubbing off onto me. Now, you might be in a certain maturity level that you need to you know, disassociate for a little bit, okay? I get that. There's certain maturity levels, but I'm telling you, if there's people that is cussing in front of me and it causes me to cuss... Something's wrong with my heart. Yeah? Jesus calls me to be right there. And you know what? We try to think, we try to place things on sinners that shouldn't be placed on them. Sinners are supposed to do the things that they're they're doing. They don't know any better. We tend to to place things on them and all these expectations we place on them. But they don't know Jesus. They need to know Jesus. We are to love them and show them Jesus. And once they have an encounter, then God is going to speak to them through the Holy Spirit and transform their life. But we can't make our own, th- you know, our own life and place it on them. You know, it talked about then the, the, the video we showed, this proximity with people. We need proximity. But see, sadly, most of us in this church have our friends are right here. Right here in this room. And I'm not knocking, not having, like, y'all need friendships. Don't get me wrong. You need loving relationships. But you need to have friendships outside this church. You need to love the sinner. You need to be in proximity with them. So that you can share the gospel with them at that moment, at that opportunity. But see, we think sin is contagious, just like the Pharisees did. But I'm here to tell you this. There's something much more powerful than that. That is very much more contagious. And that's the holiness that's found in Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ has power over sin. Because he lives in us, we have power over sin. We no longer let it cage us. We, never, we no longer let it bound us to that. But we let it transform us because holiness is living in us. Because Jesus Christ is changing us and transforming us. 
See, Jesus saw people. The Pharisees saw labels. In church culture, a lot of times, we label people. Just like we label sin. Sin is sin. It breaks the heart of God. But people, all types of people, are made in the image of God. There's not a person on this world that is not made in the image of God. Because I've read the story. I've read creation. We were all made in the image of God. And so when, we, when Jesus came on the scene and he was eating with tax collectors and sinners in that day, what he was doing is he was treating people as people. But Jesus, you know, he, he offered grace. He offered truth. But he was in proximity of them. See, the Pharisees, the religious leaders, the, the church people of that day tend to divide themselves. And you know what, that, what happens? When you divide yourself, your church pews begin to be empty where they once were full. Because legalism creeps into your church and you become about what you don't want to be associated with and what you do want to be associated with. And before long, there is no longer sinners, sadly, because you've pushed them away. But Jesus Christ does not want us to push them away. He wants us to invite them in. And so Jesus cares for the lost. Jesus cares for people. Whenever I worked at um, Chick-fil-A, uh, there was homeless people that would frequent our doors. Some we'd have to kick out because of inappropriate behavior, of course, and we'd have to call law enforcement and things like that. But most of the time, my friends and my employees would come up to me and say, can you believe they're eating here? Or what, you know, they're saying different things about them. Those homeless people. And I would stop them. Say, hmm, what's their name? Do you know their name? Because that person, those couple that you're, you're pointing to right now, that's, that's Rob. And that's a girl that goes by the name of Blue. And they have a story. Why don't we get to know their story first? Right? See, so many of us, we place labels on people. We think about gangsters, right? You play, place labels on them. Homeless people, prostitutes, place label on people. But deep down, you know what they are? They're human. They're people. Just like you and just like me. Once, once upon a time... Dustin wasn't a preacher standing up here holding a mic talking about Jesus Christ. Once upon a time, y'all, several of you, probably were not walking with Jesus. You were once a sinner. But Jesus came into your life and you changed your direction. And you changed your focus. And so I'm here to tell you this morning... That may we be a church that's not afraid to change. Because if we're afraid to change, we might as well close the doors today. But we have to change. Because there's people 
that are dying, literally dying, and going to hell in this community. And they need the love of Jesus. And we have to get outside these walls and tell them about Jesus Christ. And so um, as we come to a close today, you know, think about that. Think about who you want to be. Think about your life. Think about your, this, this church. You know, this church was a vibrant church. You know, I've heard stories. A vibrant church. But we have to make a decision. Do we want to be a museum? Full of trophies that will collect dust? Do we want to be a museum that has, you know, things on our furnitures with plaques that talk about yesteryear? Or do we want to be a hospital? Just like Jesus says, He, he came for the sick. He came for the sinner. May we be a church for the sinner. They can come to this place. They can be around us as a people and take refuge. We can be a church where people can come and feel welcomed. Maybe if they don't look like us. Maybe if they smell and don't have a very pleasant aroma. Maybe they have certain things on their bodies that we might not approve of. May they be welcomed in this place. And may they encounter Jesus Christ. Maybe they don't, they don't have the fancy clothes. Which I don't even have fancy clothes. <laughs> but may they be welcomed in anyway. And may they be pointed to Jesus Christ. And may they be different because they encountered Jesus Christ. But we have to first allow them here. We have to be in proximity to them. You see, the opposite of a come-as-you-are church is a don't-come-at-all church. And I want people to come here, and I want them to be transformed. But we have to change our mindset. We have to change our focus. Stop making people adapt, and before they walk in the door, they have to do this, 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 and this. They have to live out this checklist before they can come through the door, or before they can actually have a conversation with you. That's not how it was. That's not Jesus. That's not gospel. But may we show hospitality. May we love them. May we have uh, proximity to the poor, proximity to people who, who need Jesus. And may we point them to the way of Jesus Christ. So this morning, you know, maybe you're here and you're, you're thinking, of, you know, about your own life. Maybe you're here and you're like, Dustin, I, I identify as that sinner. I identify as that tax collector of our day. And I need Jesus. I want to follow him. But maybe you identify like the prophecy, or the, not prophecy, the, uh, the, um, the Pharisee in the story. And you're, you're living out this Pharisee type dream and this Pharisee type lifestyle. And you need to come and leave that baggage at the altar and be set free by the power of Jesus Christ to no longer be living out legalistic ways, but live out the ways of the gospel, 
the ways of the kingdom, and the ways of Jesus Christ. And so as they sing, they're talking about giving our heart to Jesus, giving our all to Jesus. May you come. The altar's open. Whether you're a sinner or a Pharisee, doesn't matter. The altar's welcome.